as individuals. Amen. And please do uh, be seated. Caroline, thank you so much for leading us. And Caroline, can I commend you as well for your song choices today? Um, th- those of us who do the first service and the second service have the privilege of seeing how everything holds together as a whole. And Caroline, your song choices are just fabulous. So thank you. Uh, we really appreciate you this morning. Well, for those of you who are joining us in person who I've not met before, it's great to see those of you who are online with us today. Thank you for joining us. My name's um, Chris, Chris Brockway. have the joy of opening up God's Word for us this morning. Uh, as we start off a shiny new sermon series, Kay's already said, it's called The Father Heart of God. There's always something very exciting about a new sermon series. I always enter into them with a sense of expectation uh, of what God might be up to. This sermon series is going to take us right through to the first Sunday of Advent, which is not many weeks away. Uh, The good news, of course, is that means Christmas is just around the corner. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Um, As we take this journey, I think we're going to be reminding ourselves, and perhaps for some of us, discovering for the first time in our Christian journeys just how much God loves us. That's the discovery I hope we're going to make in the weeks that are ahead I really believe that this is a prophetic statement. I believe we're going to see lives changed and transformed as we wrestle with God's word in the eight or nine weeks ahead. The real blessing for you is that I'm going to be a wreck for most of these eight or nine weeks because of the theme. I'll say more about that in a moment. But without doubt, there'll be some of us, maybe even all of us, who have been Christians for a long time, but we've never experienced the depth of God's love. We've never experienced it um, as deeply as we might. There'll be others of us uh, gathered online here in person here today who maybe are going to discover for the first time a relationship with Jesus. What a joy that's going to be in the weeks that lay ahead of us. We're so excited about that possibility. But here's the really shocking thing for us. If we're sitting here this morning thinking, I know it all, I've experienced the length, length, the depth, the breadth, the width of God's love, well, you're in for a shock because you're going to discover too as we journey through this series that there's yet more of God's love for you to experience. The challenge for us, I guess, as we get into this teaching series, which, by the way, is the same challenge every single week when we open up God's Word, is to be ready to listen to what God might have to say to us, to be ready to respond to the thing that God might be wanting to do in our lives. It's going to be an adventure. It's going to be punctuated too with repeated invitations to go deeper in intimacy with your Heavenly Father. Now I do want to say from the offset this morning, and we need to be really honest about this, that this series will not, and in um, many cases won't be, an easy theme for us to wrestle with, and I include myself in that description. If this series is a a struggle for you as we make our way through it, then know that you're in really good company. Some of us will wrestle with what we hear. Why? Because our experience of being fathered by our earthly fathers, through no fault of our own, and we need to underline that, through no fault of our own, was lacking, it was neglectful, and in some instances, it's been non-existent. And that's a painful truth for us to have to wrestle with. Such experiences like that of neglect or lack in, with our earthly fathers will have a direct impact on how we relate to God as a heavenly father. 
But here's my plea for the series. My plea is, would you please stick with us for the journey? Because the God that we've come to know and love, the God that we trust, has a funny habit of redeeming some of the rubbish from our past and doing something beautiful with it. We trust a God who can take our ashes and turn them into something beautiful. And that can be your story as we journey over the next few weeks. You know, if there's one thing I've discovered now from my nearly two decades as a, as a church minister of being in church leadership, and as I've discovered from my own wrestles with faith with a heavenly father, it's this. There are many Christians, probably too many Christians, who are without doubt passionate followers of Jesus. And we can say that clearly. They know the truth that their sins have been forgiven, that in spiritual terms they've been born again, and yet too many of us stand outside the door of our Heavenly Father's home, never experiencing the life-changing reality of being in a deep relationship with our Heavenly Father. Many of us have never experienced what it means to be truly adopted children of a heavenly father who has chosen us. He's chosen us to be his children. And I just wonder for you this morning whether that resonates with your experience of faith. If it does, then know that you're not alone in that journey. You see, lots of Christians begin their faith journey on the basis that their sins need to be forgiven in the eyes of a punitive, stick-wielding judge, rather than beginning their journey coming into God's family as adopted children with a wonderful, loving, heavenly Father. I've met way too many Christians in my journey of ministry who live the whole of their Christian lives in that way, knowing that they need to be saved, knowing that only God, God could save them, but for some reason they've got stuck in that place, but that isn't God's best for you. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong, is there, with recognizing that we need to be rescued from the consequences of our sin. That's a a really important central part of, of the gospel, and we should never, ever miss that out. But I think there's also a great sadness here that too many of us continue to live our Christian lives on the basis of being a wretched sinner who's in constant ongoing need of being saved rather than living as an adopted child forever secure in relationship with their Heavenly Father. I wonder if I can ask you this morning to be really honest. Just for a moment, be honest about your relationship with God. I wonder if that describes you. Have you really experienced what it means to be an adopted son or daughter? Or does your relationship with God somehow this morning feel just a bit orphan-like? Well, my hope is that you'll be able to see yourself in our scripture reading before you leave this place today. And my hope is that you'll see yourself enveloped in the arms of our Heavenly Father. He wants to say to you today that you are his precious child that today you are a chosen son, that you're a chosen daughter of a heavenly father. So what better place to start uh, our series than with the story of the prodigal son that reminds us today that our heavenly father is bursting for love for you. He's bursting with love for you today. Luke chapter 15, um, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, open the pages or switch it on to the right page. uh, And I'm going to read from verse 11. We're going to dip in and out of the text. um, So please don't close your Bibles. Verse 11 says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he'd had and he set off to a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. 
What's coming to your mind there? Wild living, I wonder what that is. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Well, I wonder if you've got a favorite parable. This is without doubt my favorite parable. Why? Because every time I read this text, it shouts at me all the things that I need to hear from God every single day of my life. As you flick back through the pages of your Bible, you'll discover that today's parable, which by the way is a small story with a big message, that's what a parable is, the parable is all about the lost lost son, but it's the third lost story in a trilogy of lost parables which Jesus told. Luke chapter 15 is sometimes called the lost chapter of Luke's gospel, not because it's lost in the sense of it's missing, we jump from chapter 14 to 16, but because it's made up of these lost stories. But what's really interesting about the way Luke puts this together, and it's not accidental at all, is what happens with these parables as the story is told. The value of the lost object increases dramatically from a sheep to a coin to a human being. We take a journey from livestock, less value we might argue, to finance of greater value, to the thing of greatest value ever, which is a person. But what you'll notice too with the way Luke puts these stories together is the ratio at risk increases exponentially from one out of a hundred sheep, and there really are 100 sheep there. Don't bother wasting your time counting them this morning. The ratio increases from one out of a hundred sheep to one out of 10 coins to one out of two people. But two, the degree of lostness rises with a, a quantum leap with each story that gets told in Luke chapter 15. From a somewhat lost sheep to a more lost coin to an utterly lost person. In fact, two utterly lost people. The first thing I'd love for us to see from this text today is the son's reckless self-love. Notice what he's doing with his hands. They're stretched out to, to take. By asking for his share of the, uh, the estate whilst this father is still alive in verse 12, this younger son is effectively saying to his father, dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I wish you were dead. Now, if I said that to my dad, it would probably kill him with a heart attack. It's an interesting thought. But what's totally unexpected at this point in the story and thoroughly countercultural in his day is that the father actually agrees to his son's outrageous demands. So he divides up his property, giving probably, as was the custom, two-thirds of the estate to his older son and then one-third to his youngest son. In this moment, the son is literally asking his father to tear his life apart, to tear it apart relationally, financially, emotionally, and unbelievably, the father does so. Why? Out of an act of love. And you might be thinking, how on earth can this be an act of love? But it seems to me that there's something very important in this story about the way that our Heavenly Father honors our free will even when it breaks his heart. It's an act of love for God to give us free will. It's even more an act of love for him to allow us to exercise that free will when he probably, he does know that we're going to break our, his heart with our actions. 
So the son leaves the village in verse 13 onwards and he goes off to what's described as a, a distant country. It was probably Las Vegas. The NIV translation says that whilst he was there, he squandered his wealth in wild living, which conjures up in my mind images of wine and women and of song. I wonder what it conjures up in your mind. Don't shout it out. It could be embarrassing. I guess maybe in more contemporary language, we might picture sex and drugs and hip-hop. But it would actually be more accurate to say that he squandered his wealth in extravagant, reckless, spendthrift living. His attitude, I'm going to spend until I've got nothing left, until I'm without a penny. I wonder if you've ever done that in your life. So verse 14, this younger son finds himself out of money, living in a foreign land, and he's got no friends and he's got no family. He really is in a terrible situation. And then we discover it's all made even worse by something that was utterly out of his control. A famine happens. Maybe it was a fuel shortage or maybe the cost of uh, fuel suddenly went dramatically up. Something unexpected hits the land and all of a sudden everybody is having to tighten their belts. So verse 15, this youngest son does the unthinkable. He hires himself out to a Gentile, but worse than that, he ends up looking after this Gentile's pigs, which were unclean, abhorrent animals to the observant Jew. This guy finds himself destitute, and in fact, he's so destitute, we read that he longs to eat the pods that the pigs chew on. Now, last time I chewed on pig pods, they tasted a bit like a a Big Mac, utterly lacking in nutritional value. I mean, this is a sign of this guy's desperation, isn't it? here in this moment. But then we get to verse 17. And verse 17 is a bit of a turning point in the story. It's a turning point with mixed motives, but we have the turning point, which is the beginning of change. Let's read together. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And yet here I am starving to death. I'm going to set out and I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Now, if Jesus had ended the parable here, which he doesn't, the Pharisees, I'm guessing, would have quite happily nodded their agreement with all that Jesus had set up to this place. In their minds, they'd have been thinking, yes, what a wretched sinner. May he dwell in misery forever. Sounds strangely similar, doesn't it, to the response of the older brother later in the story, if you know it. But I guess that's the point Jesus is trying to make. Maybe if there were some Pharisees there that were slightly more sympathetic, they might have concluded, well, the son is just doing the very thing that a good Jewish boy should do. He's showing great sorrow for his sin, and he's expressing a deep desire to make amends for his sin, probably for a very long time. And of course, at one level, that's absolutely right and proper. There's always a place for heartfelt repentance. But it seems to me the point that Jesus is making in the story is that the son didn't need to get stuck in that place forever where the only thing he did was apologize over and over and over and over again for the same sin. You see, the good thing for us is that Jesus' great parable has a second part. I think there's probably three parts in the story. And this part of the parable, part two, is where Jesus absolutely blows apart the box-ticking assumptions of the Pharisees and also reveals the reckless love of the father in response to the reckless actions of his son. 
You see, this is the point where we discover that Jesus and his heavenly father are bursting with love for people like you and me. This is such a good story. You see, Jesus knows that what the youngest son has done so far in the story is what the Pharisees think is enough. It's what they think is sufficient. But Jesus knows it's not really enough. Jesus knows that in the rest of the story, the son needs to experience the response of his father because that's where true transformation will happen. The youngest son in the story, at this point, of course he's sorry. He's sorry, all right, but his motives are really mixed. He's sorry, but he's only sorry because he realizes what a terrible mess he's gotten himself into. And so at this point in the story, he begins to bargain his way into a better situation than the dire straits he currently finds himself in. Now, how do we know that? Well, I think there's a really key indication that this is not genuine repentance um, at the end of his planned confession when he says, make me like one of your hired men. Make me like one of your hired men. He doesn't want forgiveness. In fact, he doesn't even think he deserves it. I'm not sure at this point he even wants a restored relationship with his father. He wants to save himself. But did you see what happens in the story? The father gives him grace anyway, which reminds us, doesn't it, that surely our strategies that we try and deliver in our own strength will always be ineffective, and God has a much better way of rescuing and restoring us. And as we rejoin the story at verse 20 again, This is where we start to see the father's reckless love. And notice the father's arms or uh, hands at this point. They're stretched out in a posture of giving. The son's hands were held out ready to receive. The father has his arms stretched out ready to give. Verse 20. Can't find it. So he got up and he went to his father. But whilst he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he's now alive. He was lost, and now he's found. So they all began to celebrate with the exception of the calf. Don't worry, you'll get it later. Here's the response of the son. I don't deserve to be your son because of what I've done to you. Listen to the response of the father. That's correct. But you are my son. And because you're my son, that is what you're going to remain. That's a summary of the story. And Jesus here in this moment explodes the Pharisees, and I suspect some of our understandings of how things should be. Jesus here reveals that the Father responds with an unpredictable, unexpected, and extravagant love. Before the Son even has a chance to say anything, the Father, who's filled with compassion, what is God trying to say to us with this word compassion? Have you noticed how many times it's come up in recent weeks? The Father, filled with compassion for his Son, runs to him and embraces him and showers him with kisses and with tears. The Father reconciles with his Son in visible ways before the Son even has a chance to finish his rehearsed speech. This is what I like to call a Romans 5-8 moment. And if you've been a Christian for any period of time, then you'd have had your own Romans 5-8 moment. 
God demonstrates his love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You are a son, you're not a slave. I wonder if some of us men need to hear those words spoken over us this morning. You're a son, you're not a slave. You are a daughter, you are not a slave. Do some of us women this morning need to hear that spoken over us? You are not a slave, you are a daughter. That is who you are. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Our Heavenly Father says to us today, you should not be living your life like one of my hired servants. You're my son, you're my daughter. Stop standing outside in the cold and would you please come into the warm of my family home. You know, in the story, the son is clearly shocked by what his father has done. He's overwhelmed by the love and the forgiveness and the acceptance of his father and his father's outstretched arms. And then the son verbalizes the words that indicate actually at this moment his true repentance. And suddenly this lost son finds himself lost again in a different way and in a different place. This time he's lost in the embrace of his heavenly father. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But what we notice here is he omits the line about make me like one of your hired men. This is the beginning of true transformation. This is the moment where the son, instead of trying to bargain, has come to a place of surrender. This is the point where he stopped trying to do things in his own strength and he does it the way that God wants him to do it or the father wants him to do it. No longer is he trying to bargain his way out of a tough situation. No longer is he trying to earn back or earn something to pay off the debt he owes to his father. Instead, this recklessly self-indulgent son has become the recipient of his father's reckless love and lavish grace. Can I remind you this morning that the reason Jesus told this story is he was desperate for us to understand how his father will respond to us if only we'll come home. Don't you just love how the Father's grace is expressed? Such an undignified thing thing to do in, in the Middle East for a gentleman, in running, in hugging, in kissing. The Father is literally bursting with love here in this moment. I wonder if that's the Heavenly Father you've, you know today. I wonder if that's the Heavenly Father that you've come to, to, to love and to experience. Have you encountered a Heavenly Father who runs, who hugs, and who kisses? A Heavenly Father who's bursting with love for you today. I just wonder today if you will allow yourself to be lost in the arms, in the embrace of this Heavenly Father who loves you so much. His arms are outstretched for you today, not just for your neighbor, but for you. Would you please come home? Well, the Father goes on to demonstrate his complete, his unconditional acceptance of his youngest son and he calls for his service uh, servants to bestow on this son all the visible signs of sonship the robe the ring for his hand the shoes for his feet and what you'll notice from the story is that the father doesn't say to his servants right take off that son and clean him up first but instead the father embraces and kisses and then places his own robe on this stinking dirty pig smelling son What good news, God does not need me to be cleaned up and sweet-smelling before he'll invite me into relationship. I need to know that today, and I wonder if you do too. You don't need to be perfect to experience the hug. 
You don't need to be perfect today before the Father runs towards you and throws his arms around you and lavishes you with kisses. Come to the Father, even if you're dirty pig smelling or whatever it might be for you. Of course, there is a part three to this story, which is all about the older brother. And what we discover about the older brother is that he's been near the father the whole time. In fact, he's been a good boy. He's been busy obeying the commands of the father. And yet we discover his heart is not in line with the father. While the household are busy rejoicing, and I'm imagining the whole village coming to the party, which would have happened, this older son son pulls the father aside and does everything he can to express his anger at the father's mercy. Because all of this son's hard work, he felt he was entitled to his father's love. But here's the learning point from the older brother. We discover that it's possible to be right and to be religious and still be utterly lost in our relationship with the father. As I draw to a close today, I want to take us back to verse 20 because I think verse 20 contains some incredibly powerful words. They say this, he got up and he went back to his father, but whilst he was still a long way off, there's the powerful words, whilst he was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion upon him and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. I wonder if you've ever considered from this well-known story why the father saw his son when his son was still a long way away or whilst his son was far off. Let me tell you the first reason why the father didn't uh, see the son in that way. It wasn't just that he happened to be up on his roof fixing the gutter as the son happened to appear in the distance. The reason the father saw the son from far off, because the father had been on the roof every evening and every morning since the day that son had left and was busy looking for him. The father is looking for you today and he's been looking for you to come home since the day you distanced yourself from him. Would you turn around and come home? Because what you'll discover is the Father's heart, and we discover that the Father's heart is full of compassion. I did not feel compassionate last time I was fixing my gutter. Why is the Father feeling compassion here, and why does he give an emotional, compassionate response? Because he's had this deep-seated longing caused by pain and wrestle over a long period of time of being stood out there evening and morning to see his son come home. That's why he feels compassion. And in compassion, he doesn't stand still and wait for his son to come to him. He runs towards him and he kisses him and he hugs him and he embraces him. This was the day that the father had prayed for and hoped for for so many years and yet it didn't seem possible. Had this son strayed so far away that it was impossible for him to return, the answer was no. And what our Heavenly Father wants us to learn from this parable is that it's never, ever too late to turn around to come home into the arms of the Father. I don't know if you feel really wretched today about something that's gone on or happened in your life. Maybe even today you feel like you're a million miles from God and God will always hold your arm's length. This parable tells you that that is a lie and it's untrue. No matter what's happened, the Father is looking forward to welcoming you home because nobody has ever been past the point of no return. Nobody. Come home. Come home because the Father's arms are stretched out wide and he's ready to embrace you. 
He doesn't need you to smell sweet before you run into his arms. In fact, he'll embrace you and he'll put a robe on you and a ring on you and shoes on your feet, even whilst you stink. What good news. You know, God's reckless grace and his reckless love are our greatest hope. It's reckless, but it's not cheap. It cost him his son, Jesus. God the Father gave his son to die for you and me so that we could experience relationship with our Heavenly Father. Would you come deeper with me in your walk with Jesus than you currently find yourself? You know, the prerequisite to receiving the grace of God, and we see this in the story, is to know that we need it. And unlike every other major religion, Jesus offers hope to ordinary, normal, sin-filled people like you and like me. Run into his arms, because he's ready to embrace you. I wonder if we can be still for just a moment. Let's pray. wonder for a moment if in your mind's eye you can just imagine yourself in this story. Why not substitute yourself to be that younger son? For many of us, this won't be too difficult to do. We can imagine ourselves in that far-off, distant place. But you know that the Father's been looking for you every morning and every evening. And as you choose to turn around, as you choose to come home, his heart is full of compassion for you. This is not a stick-wielding, judgmental father. But this is a father whose heart is overflowing with compassion, with grace, and with love. To imagine yourself in the story, to see yourself running towards the house where you see your father running towards you. <laughs> His arms are outstretched. Would you stretch out your hands and lose yourself in his embrace? just wonder how you need to respond to this story this morning and Holy Spirit I just want to pray would you come would you please minister to the hearts and lives of each one of us today and for some of us you know our experience of being fathered is rubbish I want to use a stronger word than that but it doesn't seem right to it is rubbish and we need to name that for what it is And Lord, if that's us just right now in this moment, Lord, I want to pray. Would you come alongside? Would you come close to us? Would you whisper, maybe even shout into our ears that it's okay, I've got this. I'm going to make a way for you. You can go deeper. You can experience more. Lord, thank you that in your economy, our past experience doesn't need to define our future. 
Lord, draw us in closer, draw us nearer. Take the ashes and do something beautiful. Holy Spirit, come, just reassure us, I pray, that we can say with confidence today, I am a child of an amazing, loving, heavenly Father. And there'll be others of us this morning and your desire is just to go deeper. What a great desire to have. There's a great promise in Scripture that says the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Go deeper with him today. Experience more of his love. Experience more of his grace. Let's do things more the way God would call us to do it than try and tell God how we can earn our own salvation, how we can pay off our own debts and our own strength. We simply can't do it. And Lord, there'll be others of us this morning who have never ever experienced this extravagant love before. I just want to pray a really simple prayer for you today, with you today, which just invites Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And by praying this prayer, you can picture yourself, because Jesus has made a way for us to run into the arms of our Heavenly Father. You can picture yourself in that embrace. And maybe if you want to commit your life to Christ for the first time or again, just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you that you've made a way for me by forgiving my sin, for dying for it on a cross. And today I run into the arms of my Heavenly Father. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you.